We're so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. So as we come to God's Word, I'm going to uh, pray once more. We've already had some prayer this morning, but it's, it's uh, I think, permissible to pray more than once in the church. Um, so uh, let's pray. But I also want to pray uh, for three other things, then we'll pray for ourselves as we come to God's Word. But uh, I want to pray for Steve, one of our elders who's uh, home at the moment, unless he's gone back to hospital, but he has been in hospital. Uh, we want to be praying for his health and his recovery and f- for good results from some upcoming tests. I uh, want to pray, we've got a group of people from our church at the Emmaus Walk, uh, which involves no walking, but it's still a good thing. Uh, it's about uh, encountering Jesus. And so we've got some people serving there, but also some people on uh, that ministry weekend to receive. And so we want to pray for them. Uh, and finally, I want to pray for Jessica. We had our own, very own Jess as a, a guest last week, uh, talking about her role as a scripture teacher. And she's uh, elsewhere today at another church doing that again as a guest in those churches. So I want to pray for her as she shares elsewhere this morning. And then, yes, I want to pray for us as we come to God's Word. Uh, so, Heavenly Father, we pray for Steve. We thank you for Steve as our elder, one of our elders. Thank you for all the years he served in that role. Uh, so, Father, we want to pray uh, for him this morning. We want to pray for his health. We want to pray that he would be strengthened and made well. We want to pray uh, that in the name of Jesus, he would be free from pain. And, and Father, as, as he's got some tests coming up to work out what is the cause of all of this, uh, we want to pray for good results. We pray that he would be given the all clear uh, and that he would be made 100% well in the name of Jesus. Yeah, Father, we pray for those serving and receiving on the Emmaus Walk. Uh, we pray that whether they're serving or receiving uh, in that uh, ministry weekend, Lord, we pray that it would be uh, an eye-opening experience. It's just as those that were on that walk with Jesus uh, thousands of years ago, uh, that their eyes would be open to see Jesus for who he really is on this weekend. Um, we pray that they'd be blessed there in Jesus' name. And we pray for Jessica, Lord. We pray as she shares elsewhere about her ministry, we pray that that ministry would be blessed, that she would be blessed, that it would be resourced financially uh, and that she would be encouraged by the broader church family this morning. And Father, we pray for ourselves as we come to your word. We thank you for it. We thank you for it when it says things that encourage us. We thank you for it when it says things that challenge us. And we thank you for it when it says things that rebuke us and bring us back uh, to correction and living the way you would have us live. And so we pray in the words of that scripture, open our ears to hear, or as in the translation Eliza read this morning, which I liked, are our ears open. We pray that our ears would be open this morning, our hearts and minds and spirit and soul also, Lord, that we'd be open to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, So we're calling this series Dear Church. We're we're journeying our way through uh, Revelation uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3, this portion of scripture that is uh, John's handwriting, so to speak, but dictated to him by Jesus, him him writing about the the encounter he had with the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. Uh, And so this is what Jesus would say to the church. This is, in fact, what Jesus has said to the church. Uh, to seven churches, all in modern-day Turkey or in ancient times, the, the Roman province of Asia. 
Uh, but, it's, but it's a message to the whole church, uh, as we've been reminded each week. It's a message to the church today. Dear church, what does Jesus have to say? Well, so in verse 18 of, of Revelation chapter 2 that Russell read for us, uh, Jesus says to the Apostle Paul, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so these are the words of Jesus. Uh, but we've talked about previously in this series how Jesus didn't just say, These are my words. He, he, he says other things that broaden out our picture of who Jesus is that broaden out our understanding of his identity, and they all point back to that encounter that John spoke about in Revelation chapter 1. They all point back to that, but they also point forward to what Jesus is going to have to say to the church. Everything he reveals about himself is relevant to what he's going to say to the church. And so to the church at Thyatira, he's reminding them that he is the Son of God, that he is himself divine that his eyes are like blazing fire that his feet are like burnished bronze now burnished in a sense means to to polish the the greek word the original word that john would have written down means refined metal if we look back to the the, the picture in revelation chapter 1 verse 15 that that john saw of jesus it fills out the picture even more it says his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And, and so Jesus says, I'm the son of God. He, he reminds John as he's writing this letter that he is the one whose eyes blaze like fire. He is the one whose feet are, are glowing white as in the furnace. And so all of this imagery, and Revelation is a book that's rich in imagery, it's like some of our Old Testament prophetic writings, these come together to point to the divinity, the holiness, and the purity of Jesus. The divinity, the holiness, which means completely other, means completely without sin, and the purity of Jesus. He is one that has been refined in fire. And this is important with what he has to say to the church at Thyatira. Uh, the message, the title uh, I've given this one is unpolluted. Jesus, the one who is like refined metal that is pure and holy, speaks to the church, to, to the church at Thyatira, to the, to the church today and, and calls us to be unpolluted. Or in other words, holy and pure. And so Jesus goes on in, in verse 19 and he says, I know your deeds. Jesus is back to talking to the church about deeds. He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Hopefully some of us remember the first letter to the churches, the letter to Ephesus, and, and, and the correction to Ephesus was that they were not doing as they had done at first, that they had fallen from their first love, that the perseverance, the, the energy, the enthusiasm of their faith had, had died off, had gone low, like, like a fire that had burnt low and there's, there's not much flame left, maybe a few hot coals. But Jesus says to the church of Thyatira that 
that they're doing more than they did at first. Their, their, their enthusiasm for their faith, their passion, their, their deeds, their faithfulness, their perseverance has, has only increased over time. It has grown, not faded. In fact, if we jump down to verse 24 and 25, uh, to the other side of what Jesus has to say to correct this church, uh, we're told that by Jesus that he would add nothing to them. He says, Now I say to the rest of you at Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, that's the false teaching, which we'll get to in a minute, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burdens on you except to hold to what you already have until I come. And so Jesus is saying to this church quite a remarkable affirmation. There's nothing I would add to the way that you're living out your faith. To those that haven't been led astray by this false teaching that we'll get to in a moment, he says, there's nothing I would add to that. Keep going. You're doing well. It doesn't mean that they're complete without sin, that they don't need Jesus anymore. It's not, that's not the case there. What he's saying is what you're doing is good. Keep going. And so the takeaway for us is that Jesus notices when we're doing well in him. We've said this before, but I think it's good to remind us. Jesus sees our deeds and knows and wants to affirm them. It doesn't matter if anyone else sees the good that we do in the name of Jesus. We don't need a pat on the back from, from human hands, though that's nice from time to time and we should encourage others. But we don't need that because Jesus knows and sees. He knows our deeds and when we're doing well in him, he wants to encourage and affirm us. But like all of these letters, there, there is a correction there is a rebuke. And we remember that in the next chapter, Jesus says, I rebuke those that I love. In verse 20, Jesus says to the church, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she's misled my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And so last week, when we were talking about the letter to the church of Pergamon, we talked about compromises that they were making in their faith. And, and so this is a, a similar criticism. This is a similar rebuke. Jesus is talking about sexual immorality and food sacrificed to idols. He's warning them against embracing a teaching that encourages those. And so I just want to pause for a minute and think about, well, why is Jesus so uptight about sexual immorality if uptight was the right word to say i mean we live in a culture today that that kind of the norms particularly biblical norms around sexuality uh, are seen as so restrictive and so you know i don't know the word for it i'm lost for words but so kind of reducing of what we could be doing sexually and so why is jesus on this why is the Bible so on this all the time? And I just want to read one verse to jump back to what the Apostle Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, to kind of touch on why this is so important as followers of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. 
So saying, it's not saying that sexual immorality is kind of extra bad in terms of its, its level of sinfulness. He's saying other sins are outside the body. They are sins that kind of are outside your being. And so there kind of is a different category of those. But he goes on to say, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. There's something that intimately involves our body, our being, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally when we engage in sexual activity. Paul goes on to say in verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And so the reason the scriptures are so, what might seem in modern day circumstances, tight around sexuality is because of how damaging it can be to us physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. The the boundaries are there for a reason that we might be whole and holy before God. And so it seems that the church at Thyatira has tolerated or welcomed a teaching from a, a false prophet whose name probably wasn't Jezebel. That's the name that Jesus gives her. Now, the thing about Thyatira, the town where all the other cities we've talked about so far that Jesus has written to the churches of were kind of competing to be the most important city in Asia Minor, in, in the Roman province of Asia. Thyatira wasn't that. It was, in a sense, what we'd call today a blue-collar town. It was a, a trade town of craftsmen that, you know, that would produce uh, items that would be sold around uh, the province and around Rome, but, but they were blue-collar workers would be what we'd call them today. And so, like uh, today, in many workplaces, there are trade unions. They called them guilds in those days. Unlike today, being a part of a guild or a union meant participating in worshipping the idol, the patron god of that trade guild. And so it involved sacrificing to a patron god other than the one true god. And, and participating in pagan, when we've touched on this before, participating in pagan worship normally involved a great deal of sexual immorality as well. There would be what they would call shrine prostitutes that would be part of the act of worshipping. And for the pagan religious people, participating with those prostitutes wasn't considered being unfaithful to your spouse. That was, that was part of worship. Uh, remember, it was a very male-dominated uh, time in history. And so it seems that this false prophet that Jesus labels Jezebel has, has come into the church and been teaching that this kind of sexual immorality and debauchery is okay. This false prophet has led some in the church away. Now, I want to say here before we move on, this is not about her being a woman. We have multiple examples of of prophetesses, of of female leaders that are spoken positively of in the Scriptures, which is remarkable considering how male-dominated the time was. This is not about her being a woman. In the Old Testament, Jezebel was a queen of one of Israel's, the northern kingdom of Israel's kings. And she was very 
successful for a time in leading God's people away from God. She sought to kill all the prophets. This is in Elisha's time when, when he was running away and saying, you know, I'm the only one left. Uh, this was because Jezebel was on a bloody mission to kill all the prophets. Uh, she sponsored uh, 850 prophets of Baal, the, of a false god. She was an influence within God's people, leading them away from God. Her teaching polluted the faith, and like this, this prophet in the church of Thyatira, is polluting the faith. She's saying what people want to hear, in a sense. Because to not be part of a trade guild was to not be part of that trade. You might be a skilled craftsman or woman, but if you weren't part of the trade guild, access to selling your goods was shut off, which often can happen today uh, in, in, with trade unions, but without the pagan worship side of it. Mostly, I hope. I'm not a part of one. And so this Jezebel is essentially telling people what they want to hear. You can be part of the trade guild. I have this deep knowledge from God and he says it's okay. That we can be liberated. It's okay to go to the the pagan feasts and worship the idol and engage in the sexual immorality. It might even bring us closer to God. This is the kind of teaching that the Apostle Paul had to speak out against. Shouldn't, shouldn't because of God's grace, if we sin more, then, then won't his grace just increase even more? And the Apostle Paul says, by no means. This is the kind of teaching that we have here. And it's within the church. And the criticism of Jesus is that's tolerated, rather than rebuked, refuted, and refused a place in the church. And so the message to the church at Thyatira, the message to the church in the Apostle Paul's day, the message to the church today is that Jesus takes our holiness seriously. In verses 21 to 23, uh, there's some quite confronting things that Jesus has to say. He says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. And so Jesus says that Jezebel has been given time to repent. And that's key here in understanding these words that seem harsh and unforgiving. Jesus has given Jezebel, whoever she is, time to repent. It's not that she hasn't had opportunity. It's not that Jesus hasn't sought through, I guess, others in the church, through previous opportunities for her to turn from her sinful teaching. It's not that she hasn't had opportunity. It's that she's unwilling, that she's refusing to repent. And so here's the key difference to Pergamum. Jesus brought forward to them that they had been compromised in their faith and called them to repentance. At Thyatira, this isn't their first warning. 
This is an unrepentant group, particularly an unrepentant person within the church. And so Jesus talks about turning her bed into a bed of suffering. And and so this references that, that a key part of the false teaching, a key part of the sin is sexual immorality literal sexual immorality but a key part of it as well is that is the metaphorical idea of adultery against god all throughout the old testament this was a vivid image of that that god's people were in a sense married to god we look forward to the to the great wedding feast of the lamb we touched on this last week as well that that the church will be the bride of christ and and so the metaphor of adultery against god is strong here as well we look at the prophet Hosea that, that lives out this dynamic of God's people being unfaithful with the idea of immorality. The pleasure, the fleeting pleasure of sexual immorality, of spiritual adultery will be turned on its head. One of the most confronting things here is that Jesus says her children will be killed. Now, I believe, and many commentators would say that this is spiritual children. Scriptures say that, that we'll each pay for our own sins, that, that the, you know, the father will pay for his sins and the children will pay for theirs, and it's not a hereditary, inherited thing like that. But this is her spiritual children who've engaged and have welcomed and, and adopted her teaching. In a sense, this is Jesus refining the church. This is Jesus cutting out the cancer. And like surgery that removes the cancer, it can be painful. It comes at a cost, but often it's necessary for the health of the whole body. But I want to come back to that key thing at the start. This is for those who will not repent. This is for those who have given, been given opportunity, but are unwilling to repent before Jesus. And so the words where he says, I will repay each of you according to your deeds, well, that's for those who refuse to accept forgiveness, refuse to turn back to Jesus. Jesus takes our holiness seriously. Jesus is not soft on sin. He's felt in a very real way weigh the consequences of sin on his own body because he bore it all for us another key line here is then all the churches will know that i am the one who searches hearts and minds this is key here this is what jesus wants not just the church at thyatira he's calling out that that they would repent that they would turn away from embracing this this uh, deceitful teaching that they would turn back to faithfulness to God. But more broadly, he wants all the churches to know that he is the one that searches hearts and minds. Jesus doesn't just look at the surface of things. This is the point of this passage for us, that, that the churches that we would know that Jesus searches hearts and minds. The takeaway for us is that Jesus cares about the holiness and purity of his church. He is the one that shines with holiness, that radiates it. 
and he desires a holy church. And so the thing for Thyatira and the thing for us to grab is that excellence in love, in faith, in perseverance, does not excuse or justify polluted morals, polluted behaviour, polluted with sin. Jesus has said to the church, there's nothing that I would add to you in faith, in love, in perseverance. He says, you're doing the deeds. There's nothing I would add in that space, but that does not excuse or justify pollution from sin within the church. It's like the flip side of the Pharisee coin. Jesus' criticism for the Pharisees when when he was bodily on the earth is that they demanded holiness without lifting a finger to help anybody. He says you'd you'd go miles and miles and miles to make a convert and heap all of these religious burdens on somebody, but you won't lift a finger to help anybody. He said they'd forsaken the weightier things of the law of of loving their neighbour as their self, of helping the least of these, of looking after the orphan and the widow. And so they were all about religious, strict adherence to what they saw as holiness. But there was no love. There was no faith when they saw Jesus, the embodiment of God himself on the earth. They rejected him. And so the criticism for the Pharisees was it was all about legalistic holiness without lifting a finger to help others. Some in the church at Thyatira have flipped to the other side of things where it's all about loving everybody, about you know, persevering, about, about having faith in a sense, but they've neglected holiness, of honouring God with the way that they live their lives. And so the church has become polluted. Now this is uh, some nice clear water. It's good, it's refreshing. My body needs it, yeah. By all means, if you need some, some, a drink, go for it. Now if I told you that in this bottle was Roundup, and I tipped just a tiny bit into it, who would be willing to drink it now? I mean, the makers of Roundup used to tell you that it was safe to drink, but I don't think that's true. Now, I will say that I chose not to actually use Roundup. It was just water. I thought not helpful to have a bottle that looks like water. That's actually poison around. But hopefully you get the idea. It only takes a tiny bit of pollution to make the whole thing toxic. It might look the same on the outside. The church might be doing the deeds. The church might look like they're loving their community. The church might look like they're being faithful. But if it's polluted with sin, it's toxic on the inside. And so Jesus says, I am the one who searches hearts and minds. He affirms their deeds. He praises them for it. He says, I won't add anything to you, but I want you to repent of following the teaching of this false prophet, Jezebel. He doesn't just care about what's on the outside, 
He cares about what's on the inside. And so the takeaway for us today, once more, is that we would know that he searches our hearts and minds. That we would know that he cares about not just the things that we do, but about our holiness and our purity. That we would be pure and spotless before him. And so he calls us to repentance. But it's great that we had communion this morning because that's a reminder that repentance doesn't mean that we bring a sacrifice to him. Under the old covenant, in the Old Testament, to repent to realize that we've been sinful and to repent would mean that we'd have to you know, take, depending on you know, which particular sacrifice we're offering, we'd have to take an animal and, and take its blood before uh, the temple uh, to offer a sacrifice for sin. But for us, as communions reminded us this morning, is that that sacrifice has already been offered. That repentance doesn't mean bringing a sacrifice to him, it means simply turning back to him turning away from the sin, turning away from the immorality and accepting that his blood has made us clean. See, these words might, for some of us initially, and I admit that for myself, you read that and go, well, how is that graceful? If Jesus is meant to be about grace, then how is that graceful? But we remember that when we repent, As the scriptures say, if we're faithful and confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. See, that was his desire for Jezebel, was not to punish her, but to forgive her, but she was unwilling. And like all of these letters, Jesus finishes with a promise. In verse 26 and 28, he says, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so Jesus is acknowledging to the church at Thyatira that faithfulness now comes at a cost. For a trade town with trade guilds not participating in idolatry and sexual immorality came at a very significant cost to their status, to their financial prosperity, to their authority, to their prestige. But he says, for those who are faithful to the end, they will be rewarded. That they will be alongside Jesus as he takes authority over all the nations. This is a a sense, a direct quote from Psalm chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Sometimes your Bible just doesn't want to go there. Where it says, ask me, 
This is God speaking to his people through the Psalms. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. And so Jesus is saying to the church that that promise is for us. Yes, faithfulness now might look like being disenfranchised from the, the, the systems of this world for authority, for, for prosperity, but, but the promise thousands of years ago to God's people will be fulfilled when he comes again, that we will reign with him. Those who are disenfranchised in this life for their faith, for holiness, in, this, in the life to come will be given glory and authority and status with Jesus. This is his promise. Like all of these letters, the cost now will be worth it then. In the Apostle Paul's words, our light and momentary struggles pale in comparison to the glory that awaits in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so our worship team are going to come and lead us in a final song. I'm going to pray. I'm incredibly grateful for the scriptures and for God's word. If it was left to me, uh, my desire to be people-pleasing would make me just want to come and say fun, happy, easy to swallow things. But I'm thankful that Jesus loves us so much that he's prepared to offer correction and rebuke that we might be made more holy that we might be set free from the consequences, the pollution, the poison of sin, not just in the life to come, but in this life. So I'm grateful that the scriptures have tough things to say, that we might be restored, refreshed and refined by it. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder, even the rebuke this morning, for when we've tolerated a form of teaching either from within the church or from within the world that says, yes, sin's okay. We thank you for that word. So this morning we want to be among your children who hear your word and repent and receive the fullness of forgiveness. And not those who are among the children of Jezebel who refuse to repent. So we thank you that when we confess our sins to you, when we repent of sin, You are faithful to forgive. The sacrifice has already been offered. And so we want to receive your mercy this morning. We want to receive your forgiveness. We want to receive empowerment from your Holy Spirit that we would walk away from sin. That we would be holy as you are holy that we would be refined by the fire of the Holy Spirit, that we would radiate the purity, the holiness, and the glory of Jesus for all to see. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your word. May our ears be open to hear it this morning. In Jesus' name, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.